Women on Screen Out Loud is proudly supported by Company 3 in Toronto. Company 3 is the leading post-production and visual effects provider to the world's top content creators. Welcome to Women on Screen Out Loud, giving a platform to women in the film industry who challenge, motivate, and inspire on all sides of the camera. We are your hosts, Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue. In this second season of Women on Screen Out Loud, we are reflecting on the common themes and notions that have been discussed to initiate change, to build a safer space for females to flourish and sustain within this industry. In her essay, She Was More Beautiful Before, actor Caroline Deverna expresses her views on these thoughts and more by shedding light on the inevitable aging process from a woman's perspective, particularly as a woman in an incredibly demanding vocation and a very public spotlight. She was more beautiful before. The words enter my unprotected heart like a ton of bricks. Here I am, minding my own business while enjoying a cup of Lapsang Souchong tea at the bar of the Toronto Shangri-La Hotel. Having just woken up from a crazy junket day where I was invited to promote the new season of my TV show, I turn on the iPad and read what one of the journalists has to report. A very big, full-length picture of me spreads across the arts and culture section. Whoa. My favorite hand is proudly resting on my hip. It's a thing actors learn to do to make sure their character is taken seriously, and believe me, that networks dig it. So I read the article. All good. No false or silly out-of-context quotes. Those scare me the most. Normally, or dare I say, in the good old days, that would have been the end of that. But my untrained eye keeps scrolling below the text and brings me to the comments left by the readers. Nice body, but she was more beautiful before. I've never been on social media. Bambi abruptly lands on the busy city streets. Screech! Ouch! What? How dare... Gratuitous? Why would anyone take the time to be so mean? Granted, this fuckhead is allowed an opinion on my physical appearance, but why does he think he's entitled to share it publicly? And more importantly, why is this so-called newspaper, and can I stress the word news, even giving him a voice? Has hatred made its official way to the journalistic throne? Denigration and sexism often exist in seemingly inoffensive places, and this is a perfect example. I've been an actress for over 30 years. I have therefore been aging on screen for over 30 years. But I have to admit, I just recently started feeling a little shy and shameful about the audience witnessing the change. I may have unleashed an array of emotions on screen, I may have volunteered my naked body, but for the first time in my life, I feel truly exposed. The unforgiving camera forces an actor to scrutinize every line, every imperfection, accusing them like imposters. And then HD came along. Oh, actors didn't know how easy they had it before this sports-intended technology invaded our screens. It still boggles my mind how a zit can appear in HD if you don't even see it when you look at yourself in the mirror. 
But how dare we whine and moan? We have a glam squad working off their little behinds to make us look our very best, not to mention a benevolent director of photography who spends countless hours lighting every angle we appear in. No wonder the tabloids sell like hotcakes. Movie stars place the bar so high, it's perfectly human to take guilty pleasure in seeing the idealized demigod show a parcel of his or her flaws and heartaches. It's only fair to have access to what lies beyond the veil. I recently saw a movie starring one of the most famous movie stars of her generation. She was so transformed by plastic surgery, I barely recognized her. I wanted to scream and cry at her prison. I remember thinking, she has embalmed herself before even riding the pale horse and now wears her fear of dying like a plastic mask. I tried to concentrate on the movie, but an overwhelming feeling of anger refused to leave me while the questions came rushing in. If this rare beauty couldn't grant herself the right to age, who will? Who's to blame? Why can't we accept the natural aging process? Do actors have the responsibility to show a realistic ideal and lead by example? It is a lot to ask of a mere mortal whose industry creates massive and unrealistic expectations. So no judgment whatsoever here. Just feelings of colossal empathy and injustice. I know the pressure to remain hireable is insane. And so a new face has landed on this planet. It is still paralyzed by injections and fillers, stunned by the fear of becoming undesirable. For an actor whose job is to convey emotion, it's a pretty pickle of a trap. Emotions can only be expressed through movement. Surprisingly, the new look is starting to be accepted in the cinematic conventions, even when it creates a time lag between the character and the era it lives in or even a discrepancy between his social status and therefore impossibility to access such costly procedures. But the real elephant in the room is what I fear most. The game-changing, de-aging technology software is about to create a real hierarchy between the stars who appear in multi-million television series and films versus the low-budget indie flicks and telly. Some get to be immortal, while others, on the other hand, will eventually kick the calendar. It goes without saying the audience also lands in the latter category. This phenomenon particularly struck me when I was watching a Netflix film starring a very famous actress who seemed to have been entrusted with the secret to eternal youth. Something was off, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. Every time she raised her head, I noticed her neck was slightly out of focus. Damn. <laughs> After immobilizing our faces, we are now fogging up parts of our bodies and movement. It's kind of sickening. All this money and energy spent to create an illusion of control on a universal and inevitable phenomenon, death. We are drifting from ourselves, betraying our nature. The supposed ideal is killing us all. Our society is in shock and denial. It refuses to grieve the loss of youth and has no idea where to draw the wisdom needed for the reconstruction of our changing beings. About 20 years ago, I shot a movie in Budapest and had the opportunity of going to the public baths on a weekday. For the first time in my life, at the age of 22, I was surrounded by elderly women in the nude and, as surprising as it may seem, it was a groundbreaking experience. They were so at ease. 
talking amongst themselves while taking care of their tired bodies that had carried them for a lifetime. It was normal. It became clear to me that we need to see these bodies exist in our part of the world. By not giving them a place, we are somehow shaming them, and the idea of becoming one is excruciating. Where there is loss, there is grief. In one of his conferences, Alain de Botton explains that according to the Buddhist philosophy, to accept death, we must begin the dying process before it actually occurs. When it comes to aging, I think it means taking the time to grieve our changing bodies because for sure the sadness will come. We must learn to let go of the idea of the perfect youthful body and say yes to that liberation. Our society teaches us that if we follow our dreams, we can build a career, a family, make money, and with that money, afford pretty much everything we want. Seeing ourselves age while doing so was not part of the plan and clashes with the illusion of control. It's hard to convince the ego that this is the way it's going to be because it wants to be boss. Yet we, one day, will be over. Maybe the real question is, what am I freeing myself from through the process of aging? What am I gaining from losing? After being relentlessly scrutinized and forever disappointing, our bodies are just doing their best as we ask the impossible of them. Self-compassion, will we ever say it enough? For most of us, it seems to be the most challenging thing to learn, but man, we need to give our bag of bones some love. The change of focus can only happen with a new perspective, and in my opinion, community is key. Let's finally give the elderly the place they deserve. Let's listen to them, and for crying out loud, let's mix up generations because sipping a cocktail while being surrounded by the trendy is what really gets old. I also believe our reconstruction can take place through fascinating basic knowledge of our bodies. I can't believe how old I was when I learned the treasures a woman's menstrual cycle holds. Because our genitals are on the inside, most men and women ignore the fact that the ebb and flow of our body temperature, the position of our cervix, and the texture of our vaginal secretions are all clear indicators of our fertility. Am I digressing? I think not. What if we concentrated on the power that lies in our bodies instead of constantly asking for more? If COVID-19 taught us anything, it may be that what we have, our possessions, our healthy body, is enough. Voluntary simplicity. Those two words put together make the hairs on my arms stand up for an encore. I have a daughter now. The choices I make will have an influence on the way she sees and accepts her own body. I also have the privilege of having an older actress as a role model my mother. She briefly flirted with an injection or two and decided it wasn't for her. The needles make her squirm, she says. The truth is she doesn't really make a fuss about her image, and at the venerable age of 74, her career could make the younglings green with envy. Let's celebrate the elegance of a woman who has accepted her aging self. Jamie Lee Curtis, you rock. Tony Collette for president. Clarence recently proposed a middle-aged model sporting gray hair. So there is hope. I have to say my personal experience as the face of a beauty brand made me cringe at Photoshop. The thing is, the photograph subject is not invited to the final touch-up process, and I've seen my face completely transformed by it, like my features had been taken away and repositioned. My lips were just resting there, slightly off balance. 
It's wildly insulting. Did my face really need so much renovating and excavating? Every time I do a photo shoot now, I find myself asking the photographer and magazine editor to minimize the correction process and leave a bit of circle under my eye because last time I checked, the eye rests in a cavity. Please allow a little shadow to exist. When Photoshop takes away my lines and the texture of my skin, it usurps my humanity, my history. The more I write about this subject, the more I feel intimidated by it. It's larger than life. People have been looking for the fountain of youth forever. According to the legend, Juan Ponce de Leon, the great Spanish explorer, was looking for the fountain of youth when he made his way to Florida in 1513. I find this particularly suspicious since our baby boomer snowbirds keep gravitating to it in flocks. Perhaps they have found the rejuvenating source and are hogging its benefits? I'm only 42. I don't want to be the little know-it-all who thinks she has it all figured out, and I may very well dive into the little tweak here and there one day. I hope not, but maybe. And I wouldn't want to see it as defeat. But right now, I want my face to be able to convey emotion, to tell the story the writers trust me to communicate. I want to focus on what's being shared. Some days I will fail. (laughs) The sagging bits will devilishly be winking at me. I know it. Believe me, I'm all for looking my best on camera. Maybe I just have to find an incredible DP, wine and dine him like a mofo, and make sure he follows me on every set. But more realistically, perhaps aging on screen will be the most intimate sharing I will ever have to do. It is my responsibility to not delve into the hatred sown by the trolls online. These people clearly have a long distance to travel, yet it feels like they were born yesterday and will die tomorrow. I wish them the best in this chaotic and beautiful quest the ego has to embark on before it takes its last bow. Coming up, Lara Jean and Caroline chat finding authenticity in the film and TV industry, embracing voluntary simplicity, and cultivating new pandemic pastimes. All right, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. I'm here with Caroline Deverna. And uh, well, I'm not here with Caroline. Actually, we're in two different locations at the moment, as is the new reality in our worlds. But Caroline, I think you're coming to us from Montreal. Indeed. And I'm actually coming to us today from Montemblant. So we are hysterically quite close together at the moment. Yet I had still, no idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in Montemblant right now. Nice. Quite close together, but still doing this from afar. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It was such a pleasure to read your words the other day. Thank you. It was, they're just really beautiful your essay is so detailed that Jen and I, when we met to prepare for the interview, we've kind of struggled because we found ourselves <laughs> just wanting to repeat sentences. Oh, my God. It's so nice to hear because I've never really had to do anything like this before. And <laughs> the pleasure I had writing this made me really think about maybe I should write more often and and make a thing out of, you know, making it a journal, like a journal, not a journal, but you know what I mean? Like an everyday thing. Your prose is so, it's vivid and many lines like punched us right in the gut. So yes, please write more. Just please write so much more. I guess to, to begin, our question is maybe like, when did this 
shift for you? When did you start to really start to think about this? You've been on screen for 30 years, and I, I hope that this feeling of exposure wasn't always there, or maybe it was in a different way. But in terms of this essay, when did you start to feel that awful shame about aging creep in? Well, it did creep in. It didn't happen overnight, but um, I guess it's been a couple years. I remember when we were shooting Hannibal, I would talk about this with the ladies in um, in the hair and makeup, and mm. they were older than me, and they would say to me, "You can't really, you don't know what you're talking about yet because it hasn't started for you." Mm. But I saw a change. But they, I knew what they were saying, so I knew that one day it would start going a little more, I, I guess, quickly, and things would change, and and then I would really know what I was talking about. Maybe I'm not even there yet, but I certainly see the changes when I look at myself in the mirror, and even more so when I see myself on television. Yeah. And a good DP has always been a very important thing for actors, but more than ever now with, as I was saying, HD and also the fact that I'm aging. But it's really a thing in everyday life, I think. When I see women on the street who have clearly transformed their faces because of this fear, I always feel so sad inside because you can't really go back once you've done it. And I can only imagine going through the whole operation and then looking at yourself in the mirror after going, who is this new person that I'm going to mm. be with for the rest of my life now? You know, it's it's a huge change. It's especially someone said to me once, you know, there's Botox and fillers and that's kind of one level. As soon as you kind of go under the knife, it's like that's that doesn't that's irrecoverable. Yeah. Um, you can't go back. And even Botox and fillers, I notice it's like once you go there, it's yeah. almost like you can't go back. Even exactly. though they fade and go away, it's you've now seen this new self in the mirror and it, it's really hard to go backwards. Yeah, and it's like people who get a lot of tattoos, they always say once you start, you get really addicted to it. And I think it's the same thing because you may transform your face, but then you, you're still aging and mm -hmm. you're not evolving the way your face would have naturally evolved. So how do the fillers, um, you know, make sense with that as well, you know, because your face keeps changing. So it's, um, I don't know, it's a really tricky thing. Well, there's no really easy answer to I love that you just brought up HD and you bring it up in the essay. Uh, yeah. Jen and I were both like, oh, thank you for bringing attention to that. HD is meant for sports. It really and is because <laughs> of the balls and, and the, yes. the hockey pucks, you know, you that people want to see. Yeah, but you don't need to see what we're trying to hide in our everyday lives. And it's not because it's covering the truth. It's just that, as I was saying in the essay, it's more than the truth because mm -hmm. it actually accentuates some certain lines and, and, and things on your face. So it's really unfair. <laughs> well, I, I don't know when I think about it, I go like, I don't know how many non-actors out there like really want someone four inches from their face on a regular basis or when they're nope. crying or emoting or angry or you know, yep. how, how many people are like, just can you come a bit closer to make sure that you see every single little thing that's happening? As you say, it's not trying to hide. It's just not realistic. And it's taking away the soul of the stories we're trying to tell because it mm. looks like someone just shot it on their iPhone. Mm -hmm. I'm going to transition for a second to, uh, you mentioned Alain de Bouton. Uh, I love his work. The Me too. Of love is one of my favorite books, just because he talks about stoicism, realism, etc. And you talk about in this particular place, his ideas and the Buddhist philosophy that the idea you have to kind of accept death by beginning the dying process before it actually occurs. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and this idea of grief that really spoke to me personally, because it's so universal and it triggered for me these memories. It also kind of ties in with your paragraph on the menstrual cycle and how amazing the body is. But these memories of recent conversations surrounding fertility and the mm-hmm. idea that Look, whether we have children or not, or want them or not, every woman grieves the loss of her fertility in the same yeah. way that we grieve the loss of youth. And to deny that, it just feels detrimental to our mental health. And to accept that fact, as you wrote, it's liberating. And it's such a weird place to be in then as an actor, where actually the most beneficial thing for our health is to is to grieve and move forward and accept it. And yet everything around us is telling us not to. Exactly. I heard a woman on the radio yesterday. There's this amazing radio show that's on every day in Quebec, and they take the time to interview older people in our population. And it's really (laughs) amazing. And it goes back to what I was saying also in the text. Let's include them as much Mm -hmm. as we can in our community. And anyway, so he was talking to a woman who was 71 years old yesterday, and she was so amazing and so wise. And she was saying... I can finally let go of what people think about what I am or my face or whatever and just um, take care of myself. Hmm. And that really spoke to me because I always felt a little jealous of how old people can say whatever they want and people don't judge them as much because they're (laughs) old, you know. (laughs) Like as an older actress, when I'm 80 or 70 or whatever Uh old is, I want to be able to say, you know, it doesn't work in this industry, this and that and whatever. And people are still going to hire me because there aren't that many older actresses around. And and because they're kind of cool, funky characters, the ones who speak their minds, you know, and we, we can really kind of accept more from them. So I'm really looking forward to that part because now I'm just 42. I want people to hire me and I don't want to (laughs) spend my time telling them what I, the truth you know, the bottom line uh, truth is, is. There's a badassness about, Jen and I were mentioning people like Helen Mirren, Judy Dench, Meryl Streep, Glenn Close. You yeah. talk about Jamie Lee Curtis, Tony Glad, I'd add Francis McDermott, and they're yeah. so kick-ass. Uh-huh. It's, it's weird to me sometimes to think like it never crosses my mind that they would struggle with the idea of aging because they just seem to have accepted it and done it so gracefully. Yeah. It, it, they must. I don't yeah, we all. It's like, but where were... Th- I would love to sit down with any of them and go, so where were you at this stage that that you're writing about here at this, where you're not at 42, you're not that old, but you're starting to feel this transition. And I would love to ask those kick-ass women, so what did you do in your 40s? How how did you do this? Because you seem to have figured it out so brilliantly and are just accepting. How do you feel that you're coping on a day-to-day basis, like to accept the beauty that is you presently as it changes daily? Every day I think about this because I'm not working right now because of COVID Mm. freaking 19. (laughs) And when I look at myself in the mirror, I've let my hair go to the grays and it has to offer. But I know that if I work again, it's going to have to be the big question with everybody, Mm. the producers and the director. Do we keep it or do we get rid of it? I myself right now find it interesting to keep it just because I want to see what I look like with it, how I feel about it, because it does give you a couple years, you know, when you uh, compare it to when you diet. And then I think, like, what character can I play at 42 with gray hair? And it's not completely gray, but it's starting, you know, I'd say it's Mm -hmm. 50-50. So 
there aren't that many characters out there or people on screen that we see going about their lives with gray hair, you know? So am I taking away from my higher I don't know if it's even a word. Higher but, ability. Or, yeah, or exactly. Or are you adding to a conversation that brings reality back in? And that we need to have. Yeah. And that, like, because I, I deeply believe that if you want things to change, be the change and, and propose yeah. a change. And maybe people will go, wow, that rocks. Let's do it. You know, and I want to do it too and, and all that. So, but it's a big responsibility. I'm not on social media, so I'm already kind of cutting myself from yeah. what, actors are supposed to do in terms of self-promotion and all that. And and I've heard that people are afraid now of not being on social media because what if the producers want to hire someone who comes with their <laughs> baggage of people who follow them and whatever. But I refuse to have every day of my life to, to read these comments and, and respond to people. And there are so many screens in my life already. I just can't mm-hmm. deal with it. So I don't want to add to that. I want to be able to read a book. I have a baby now. I, I don't have time to shower most of the time. So it's not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to add some more screen time <laughs> to my life. It's, uh, not, it's, not, it's not possible. It instantly makes me think of your phrase, voluntary simplicity. Yes. I'd love for you to expand on some more that I think we have all um, hopefully, hopefully, like this year has. I was saying to someone the other day, it's been the best and worst year. Yeah, I mean, in so so many ways, we've had to grapple with the opposite ends of the spectrum being true, and how do we kind of in that ambivalence or ambi- you know all this ambiguity? Of what what the hell is going on with life? How do we hold the tension between the two? And your phrase there, voluntary simplicity, really spoke to us too. Uh, can you expand on what you mean by that? Yeah, well. You know, I have a lot of clothes. I keep dreaming about more clothes. And then during this crisis, I thought, I have treasures in my wardrobe from my mother and my grandmother that I don't wear often enough. Let's just concentrate on that instead of wanting more. What if when I look at myself in the mirror, what I have is amazing since I'm not sick. I'm not in the hospital. I haven't I didn't catch the damn virus. I mean, I, I'm good. I'm okay. My family's okay. So what if my house is is enough because I have to spend a lot of time in it now? And I'm so lucky because I have a beautiful house in front of the Parc La Fontaine Pond. And mm. like anyone would want anyone would want that in their life. So it's stop dreaming and trying to get more and spend more time in the country because I think a mm. lot of people are realizing that right now, how much the city is amazing, but what it has to offer right now is not available to us because culture mm-hmm. is kind of paralyzed. You can't go to the theater as easily as you used to, the, the cinema, everything. You can't see your friends as much. So what's left? I mean, you want to be in nature, in contact with animals and, and walking outside. And mm-hmm. that's what we we yearn for most of the time, now more than ever. So I guess that's what I mean by voluntary simplicity, just using what you have, being creative with it, and uh, realizing that by wanting more, more, more all the time, uh, we're not completely present to what mm-hmm. we have. I've gone back to a simplicity of during these last, oh God, have we been in this for five, six months now? Whatever it is. Mm-hmm. As I bounce between various places, uh, my place in Toronto, my parents' place, and my parents, I built a garden with my dad. Yeah. Um, and then they live near, uh, basically Lake Huron on the beach. And and we've, I just was, uh, when people would ask me to do things, I would have to take a second and breathe because it's always like on Zoom or something and go, <laughs> will this fill me 
as much as gardening today? Mm -hmm. Will this fill me as much as watching sunset and really taking stock in what nourishes me and what depletes me and trying to listen to the simplicity of it instead of, you know, um, fear of missing out has almost disappeared, I feel, yeah, in some ways, because what is that anymore? And there is something really beautiful to that. And and I love that you're leaning into it so, so much. And you've mentioned your daughter now, and you mentioned your daughter in this essay. And has that, has being a mother affected your choices and thoughts surrounding aging and, and this industry and this world? I guess so. Um, not as much as I thought because those thoughts already existed for me before I had her because of how I've seen my mother evolve, I suppose. Mm. Um, but I do know that I imagine conversations. She's only two now, but one day we will talk about these things. And I imagine what I'm going to say to her and what kind of model I want to be for her. And I want to be able to present an authentic self and, and for her to be inspired by that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, I was talking about my hair earlier. Right now, it feels like if I dye it, I, I'm going against my nature, which is a strong thing to feel. It's just hair. Yeah. It's just a color. But <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling that right now. And when I do have to dye it for a role, I'll, I'll gladly do it. But a part yeah. of me will grieve that. I'm sure. The phrase that you said, it makes me think that you're like, did my face really need so much renovating and excavating? Is yeah. like my authentic natural self really so much of a problem? And yeah. It's it's so true that unless we write it into our contracts, and I know the scary thing is now people are writing into their contracts that they need to have the de-aging stuff. But, oh, God. Uh, unless we write it into our contracts in the opposite way, our image is left up to others to portray and just yeah. to a level that they feel comfortable. It's not so what much we power. feel comfortable with. Oh, completely. Yeah. It's so much power that they have over our face. And it's they think that they're um, doing something nice for us. And yeah. that's the problem. <laughs> and you're going, but actually, I was okay with that. Yeah. I uh, I was telling Jen yesterday, I remember when I was younger, This uh, there was a casting agent who mentioned to me that if I wanted to have a bigger career, I should fix my teeth. What? And, and here's the thing. I did. And they weren't really that bad. And I did thousands of dollars later. But as I yeah. did it, I was so like... Uh, just something about it sits like I want to do it, but also uneasy. Something about this isn't authentic. So yeah. my own fight when I did it was when I compromised, I said to the orthodontist, because she was like, you know, I can make them so perfect and everything. I said, no, my two front teeth have always been bigger than the rest of them. <laughs> so please, dear God, while we do these Invisalign things, make sure my two front teeth are still bigger. And I, I that, that was my compromise for yeah. authenticity, but I still did it. I still went and spent the thousands of dollars to fix my teeth <laughs> because I felt Sorry, like I'm I, not laughing at you. I'm just laughing no, at no. those freaking situations that we, we like, find ourselves in. It's crazy. Yeah. And then how do you, you know, how do we as actors navigate that deep desire, hopefully as artists for authenticity, but this audience and self brainwashing and this imperfection aversion that's been for, for decades now for, you know, a century, I guess, since film has been around for so long. I don't know, because, you know, I, as I was writing this text, my boyfriend read it and he said, because I didn't want to sound like I had all the answers. And he yeah. said to me, well, you know, people will read this and some will feel like their reality is completely different because they're doing the tweak here and there and Botox mm -hmm. and they feel great about it. And they'll think that my reality is just an exaggeration of uh, whatever. And and 
okay, that's fine, you know? So you'll see actresses out there with a transformed face, others without, and I guess to each his own inspiration. I don't know. Um. <laughs> I think I, that makes me reflect, like, I completely agree with you, and you even say in here, there's no judgment at all. Yeah, It's just empathy, and if you enjoy how you look with Botox or fillers or even some surgery of some sort, if that makes you feel more your authentic self, that's great. That's wonderful. I think the systemic stuff is what's interesting to me. It's yeah. like, so you and I met on Hannibal some years ago. Yep. Um, and there's an interesting that happened with our DOP. I remember he said to me, once that he loved lighting me because Freddie wasn't meant to be as sexy as, as as some of the other female characters. So he was free to light me with as many shadows as he wanted. Mm. And through that process, when I look back, I go, oh yeah, that's the first time that I understood that my cheekbones lit in a certain way can cut glass. And it's like, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not offended by it. The character, you know, she was who she was, but it was interesting when I look back and think about it, that right there has been a determined thing of what a female must look like to look good, which is this like soft and warm and welcoming. And as you say, I'm all for looking good on camera. It's, And I'm all for feeling good in what is authentic to you. It's just, can we also acknowledge, as I think a lot of people do, but the systemic issues that yeah. we have, the media has dictated to us for years and years and years, what a desirable woman should look like. And and that power is in the hands of the DOP and that power is in the hands of the network and the producers. And, and again, we are not always asked what we are comfortable with and what we want to portray. It's our images taken from us in that way. It's, it's uh, anyway, I don't know if I have a question here. It's more like, dear well, God, what? Yeah, well, I remember it. It reminds me of a friend of mine when I was in my 20s, I guess. He was my age back then and said, men age more gracefully than women as if it mm -hmm. was a known fact. And I don't know is he, if he's evolved since, uh, I should ask him, but um, it was such a shocker to me because I'm like, how, how dare you, first of all, say that and think that? Because why? Why is that yeah. a supposed, why is that a truth to you? You know, is it because we see a lot more um, older men with younger women? Mm. Yeah. Does that explain it? Or... Um, or why? I, I don't understand. And I think a lot of people still think that or without saying it now because they know they shouldn't. But I Oh, embarrassingly, I can say that that's come out of my mouth before. Yeah. That why yeah. do men age more gracefully than women do? And why why did that why has that ever come out of my mouth? You and know? I love that you just said that because it's embarrassing it to, to embarrassing. say. <laughs> and we've all done it, women. Uh -huh. have these judgments sometimes or these ways of thinking that go completely against the fact that we are female, you know? Mm. And it's embarrassing once you figure out that society has, has rooted these ideas into our minds. So no wonder men have them if we have them ourselves. Yeah. And it's, oh, aging is such an unavoidable part of the human experience. It's like we these conversations are so important because we can't really avoid it. I'm going to circle back to... Uh, close here, although I'd love to. If we were doing a long form <laughs> podcast, I'd love to talk to you for hours and hours and hours. But to circle back, it's like this journalist statement that started off this whole essay for you. This we are you, you know, more beautiful before, such an odd statement as if that beauty suddenly dies at a certain place. But we're we actors are human. 
we know we put ourselves out there, but we are ultimately human. Do you, do you have hope for society's acceptance as, you know, things, there's some, been some radical shifts these days in, Mm -hmm. in terms of representation and realism on camera. And do we have hope here? And I guess to bring in your beautiful statement where you said, you know, why can't we ask the question, what are we gaining by losing? Mm -hmm. And instead of, I'm going to take away losing for a second, because I'd Mm -hmm. love to ask you to close here. Do you have hope? And what do you think you are gaining by aging? Uh, Do I have hope? Man, I don't know. I usually do about everything. But I think it's going to be a long one to uh, reflect upon as a society because of this de-aging technology. I mean, this one step ahead and and it seems to be more and more used and accepted. So I don't know. I think it's going to take a lot of actors to step up and, and, you know, share how they feel about it. But we've had surprising shifts in our society lately. I'm thinking about the Me Too movement. I think a lot of women were hoping secretly or not even hoping anymore for this to happen. And then it did, like overnight. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe, maybe we'll all be surprised by a conversation about ageism and and, and, and aging and on camera or not. Um, Mm -hmm. I hope so. And... The second part of your question, I forget what it was. What do you think you're gaining by aging? I think I'm gaining, as I was saying, I guess earlier before, not having to mind as much what people think Mm. and being able to concentrate on my creativity because I really didn't talk about that. And I think that's also a very big part of the solution. I've been painting a little more during this whole COVID thing and enjoying it so much. And it's always something that I've wanted to do, but had no time for or didn't make any time for it. And as I'm doing it, I realize how much my lungs are expanding. And that's what I need to do in a not order to be happy, but to be sane, because I'm Mm. not sane when I don't paint. And that's kind of news to me. And um, I can thank COVID for that. I mean, because there are some positive aspects to the changes that it brought in our lives. So I guess that's what I'm gaining, not wanting to accept every script that I receive because I have to climb that ladder or work or be seen. Or Because I remember recently I, I got, I finally received a script about a week ago. It was yet another bad horror film. And I thought, you know what, I, I'm not going to take, you know, be on a plane right now and risk possibly getting the virus or catching or because I'm going to go, you know, participate in something that I really don't believe in, like sheer violence for nothing. So I think that as I'm aging, I'm accepting more my choices and the fact that, as you were saying, is this going to fill me up with, you know, how gardening makes me feel or no, it won't. So I'm not going to do it. Yeah. I've been talking to a lot of artist friends about that. This, this just idea that COVID has well, as you said too, the voluntary simplicity that we've really been thrown into a focus of what matters and what doesn't. And yep. and the more we listen, the more we listen to ourselves and each other, I think we the more we create space and breath, as you just said, for sanity yeah. and compassion and and then hopefully for the space for essays such as this and, and what you've shared with us today to be brave and, and yep. talk about the authenticity and the things that really matter to us and trying to cultivate more love in the world. I think there's a revolution to be had, to be made, and uh, Mm. slowly but surely. I think also social media uh, has to um, evolve that way. I think newspapers cannot afford 
to um, let these people say, speak their minds if it's hatred. You know, they have to filter yeah. and pick and choose what people have the right to say in their paper. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. I could talk to you for hours. <laughs> Me um, too. Thank you so much for your words. They were so beautiful. They really spoke to our soul. Thank you for sharing with our audience. And and thanks for talking to me today. I, uh, to me today. I really miss you. Me too. It was nice to talk so to you. So lovely. And good luck with everything else you're doing, ladies. And uh, lots of love your way. Caroline Deverna, a Montreal native, began her career at age eight. Caroline is immediately recognizable from Brian Fuller's hit Hannibal, as well as her three seasons starring as Dr. Mary Harris on Mary Kills People, which earned her three Canadian Screen Award nominations, as well as the ABC series Off the Map and the Emmy Award-winning miniseries The Pacific. On the big screen, Caroline starred in Adam Kellerman's Easy Living, and worked with acclaimed Canadian filmmaker Guy Madden on Seances, which screened at the 2015 Sundance Film Festival. She also appeared in the sci-fi film Mars et Avril, directed by Martin Villeneuve and based on the novel of the same name. Caroline received a nomination for a Genie Award in 2005 for her role in Gary Nate's Niagara Motel and is a two-time nominee of the Jumeau Awards, Quebec's Television Awards. Merci, Caroline for joining us remotely today. Be sure to check out future episodes of Women on Screen Out Loud wherever you get your podcasts and check out upcoming events and initiatives from Women on Screen at womenonscreen.ca. Until next time, I'm Lara Jean Korostecki. And I'm Jennifer Pogue. And we are Women, Women on, on Screen. This podcast was created and produced by Lara Jean Korostecki and Jennifer Pogue, executive produced by Lauren McKinley, Farah Morani, and Kira Murphy, with original music by Erica Percunier. This episode of Women on Screen Out Loud was sound mixed at Company 3 in Toronto. Thank you to Company 3 for continuing to support women on screen.